Welcome to Fostering Hope, a program that opens a door into the world of foster care and adoption, sponsored by Foster Adopt Connect. You'll hear stories from all facets of foster care, from kids who have experienced the system firsthand, from parents who are taking on the challenges and rewards of creating forever families for foster children, and from child welfare workers and policymakers who work within the system while also working to make it better. Besides hearing important stories, you'll learn how you can help society's most vulnerable children in big ways or small. Please welcome our host, the Youth Program Supervisor at Foster Adopt Connect, Nathan Ross. Hi, and welcome to Fostering Hope. I am your host, Liz Luce, here with my co-host, Jennifer Townsend. Hello, Jennifer. Hello. And this month, we are talking about teen and young adult development uh, with our foster care and adoptive system here in Kansas City and beyond. And we have really special guests today from the Community Connections Youth Project program at Foster.Op Connect. If you all would introduce yourselves. Hi, I'm Nathan Ross, usually hosting this great show. Uh, I am the supervisor of the Community Connections Youth Project. Hi, I'm Jessica Funk, and I'm a Community Connections Youth Specialist. I'm Candace Jackson. I'm also a Community Connections Youth Specialist. Wonderful. Um, so would you mind telling us a little bit about the Community Connections Youth Project program and how you all got involved with this? Sure. So uh, I was on this show earlier this month talking about my own experiences, so listeners might be familiar. But I came to this work because I was a foster kid alumni and was adopted when I was 13. So the abuse and neglect that led me into care made my experience a little bit hard, but I was very fortunate that I didn't have a lot of placements and I found stability. So when I became a young adult, it was very important for me to try to help other young young adults who are transitioning have the same opportunities that I did, which is why um, we were able to start this program. Jessica Candace. Um, I came <clears throat> into this work field actually because as Nathan stated, I also was a foster child. Um, I got adopted when I was eight years old. Um, and my path was different at first. I wanted to go to law school, but then I had gotten married and I had a child of my own. And then some kind of way I felt that I needed to be an advocate for those who were in foster care and didn't have a voice for themselves. And then I got an interview at Foster Job Connect and Nathan loved me and I got hired. <laughs> So my situation is a little bit different. I was never technically in care, um, but I was able to work closely with the social workers in middle school and high school and counselors in elementary school. Um, I had moved out of my parents' house when I was, or my dad's house when I was 13. Um, my biological mother was in prison. So I did bounce around a lot, um, but luckily working with the social workers, they were able to help me arrange transportation regardless of where I was, that I was able to stay in the same school. So I did have some stability um, but I always knew that eventually I would not be in the situation that I was in and that I wanted to help others who were in my situation so they could see that, you know, it's possible to break the cycle and to not um, repeat your parents' mistakes. So when I saw the job and got an idea of what it was, I knew that it was a good thing for me. And so for Community Connections Youth Project, it came about um, after – you went to a meeting, Liz, a couple of years ago at a roundtable discussion, and a bunch of the social workers and child welfare professionals asked if we had a program for kids who needed help accessing Medicaid. And you asked me, and I was like, no, we don't. And then we started thinking about it, and we were like, why not? Why isn't there a program? 
So we sat around a few of us and kind of figured out what would a program look like if it were to help young people access their Medicaid. And in doing so, we figured out that a lot of the young adults do not care about accessing Medicaid because they are struggling with their employment. They're struggling with housing. They don't know where where they're going to eat, if they're going to eat, where they're going to lay their heads. And so when all of those things are taken priority, there's no there's no chance that they're going to go and have regular checkups. So we started developing community connections with the idea that if we can help tackle those other domains, those other areas of their living, we might be able to help them get to a place where they stabilize and then are able to access their Medicaid, access that primary care physician to limit some of those um, medical barriers that could keep them from having full-term employment. So that is how Community Connections came about. We were very fortunate. Um, we were going to start with one specialist a year ago. And we're very fortunate to have state funding that allowed us to do this work in a very big way. So we hired on an additional team of people in the Kansas City area, and we were also able to start a team in our Springfield branch. And so there are four specialists in Kansas City and two specialists in Springfield who work specifically with kids in the foster care system. Uh, one of the unique things about this program, as you've heard from me and Candace and uh, Jessica is that everyone is from the foster care system or has a foster care related experience. So either being homeless, a homeless youth on their own, uh, living with a grandparent, things like that. And so we're able to use those experiences to also help us as we're working with those young people. And so it's not just the um, social work mentality, mm -hmm. which is great. There are lots of great social workers out there, but that added layer of living it has been helpful for us in talking with our clients. And have, have you heard from your clients um, specifically how they feel more comfortable or how they're able to connect better because all of the folks that work with them um, in the CCYP program are former alumni. Uh, yeah, definitely. I have a client who um, she's 19 and her and I have actually had very similar upbringings um, dealing with family members in prison um, and the things that her parents have said to her or things that my biological mom had said to me. Um, so I'm really able to, to able to talk her down when she's having a really hard time, you know, um, she'll call me at all hours, whether it's four in the morning or six in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> um, and I just feel like because I went through what she went through, that it's a lot easier for me to understand where she's coming from. And I can help give her a little bit of advice and able to kind of talk her down when she's really upset. And so I guess I'm sort of surprised, too, that because this seems like such a, an obvious thing that young adults um, who have grown up in the foster care system would need. Um, you know, this help navigating health insurance, navigating housing. Why um, was there such a great need for it? Was it not being done already? Yeah, so the population we work with specifically, they're, they're harder. They're more challenging. They have uh, gone through a lot of trauma and a lot of neglect, and it has led them to develop all kinds of survival instincts. And so those survival instincts make it hard for some people to stay committed to working with them. Uh, and so what we found was that this population, people kind of had a hands-off approach, like, you're 18, go figure it out. And so they were falling through the cracks. People who grow up in traditional families or grow up in an adoptive family from a young age, we understand how important our families are to us. We understand that we're able to ha call them if we need anything. We understand all of that. And sometimes our young adults in this program don't. And so they kind of buck authority. They don't want to listen. They want to do their own thing, and when they find out that they need help, sometimes it's too late. And so that's what we found is that there was a gap in that 
um, between the time that they kind of left the system and figured out that they needed help, there was a gap because they would lose out on services. So how do you get referrals for this program? We get referrals from Nathan, um, but he gets them from um, different sources. I think Children Division gives him some emails that we have to go through, and then they actually have friends that they refer. So our clients will refer people that they know that they think that want services from us. Yeah, it's been a very cool process. When we first started in this program, we were very nervous. We didn't know how many clients we'd be able to serve, and so our expectation was 35 clients. And then when we got the state funding, we realized that we couldn't have six staff serve 35 clients in a year. And so we tried to up it to 65 clients and it made us still even more nervous. And the response from our community has just been overwhelmingly positive from all the child welfare systems, all the places that interact with our population. We have never wanted for referrals and we've gotten to a place because of the work that Candace and Jessica and the rest of the team do that our young people are now referring their friends and their siblings to our program and so we get a lot and that, of I, that adds a layer of trust doesn't it where it, they, it's not yeah. so much pushback it absolutely does it because our program is very much voluntary one of the things that we decided when creating this program was that we did not want a program that would kick young people out that was something they were used to if you mess up, you're done. There are lots of people who need this service. Go on and we'll serve them. And so we really didn't want that. And so we have a program where they come in and out as much as they want. Every time they're back here, though, we're giving them our undivided attention and we're helping them meet the needs that they have. So it's a lot like a family um, where, you know, you can be angry at your parents and leave and then something happens and you know, they're not always nice about it, but they do take you back. Yes. So it's kind of like that where they understand that there will be back and forth. So what other, what other um, besides health insurance, what other things do you focus on with these young adults? So we do everything from financial assistance, um, employment, education, transportation. Um, we have a legal advocate that we work with as well, housing um, and social supports, and really everything in between. What is the last social supports? What do you... How we try to that? help our clients get in touch with whether it's family members or friends of theirs, you know, because they have moved around so much. So say they're looking for an old high school friend that they had at a particular school. Um, if that's something they want help with, then we can kind of help them locate them so they have a bigger support system. Mm-hmm. You had shared that um, the ages and a little bit about the geography as far as who you're able to serve. Are there any um, anything? Things, any qualifications or characteristics of a of a youth that would make it to where they couldn't participate in the program. You said there was legal help. Would would criminal history or s- legal struggles would that keep someone from being able to participate in the program? No, not really. Um, like I said, we try to help with all those barriers. Um, it's not going to like disqualify them from the program or anything like that. Um, if anything, we try to work a little bit more hands on with them so they can get through those legal issues. Um, so that way they can get some stability within their life. Awesome. Fantastic. So um, I am really excited to hear some more about this program. I know that um, we're going to talk more about some really awesome stories and other barriers and things that you have faced with uh, working with our older youth. Um, Thank you so much. And we will return with Nathan, Jessica, and Candice in the Community Connections Youth Project here on Fostering Hope.
Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I am your host for today, Liz Luce, with my co-host Jennifer Townsend. Hello, Jennifer. Hey. We are talking with Nathan, Jessica, and Candace from our Community Connections Youth Project at Foster Adopt Connect today. They work with teenagers and young adults who are in the foster care system or who were previously in the foster care system to help them navigate all of the fun stuff that young adults get to navigate. Um, so thank you so much for being on the show. And if you could, I know the, the last segment we sort of talked about, um, we just hit on a few of the things that you work on with the clients. If if you could tell us, you get the referral, and then just walk us through what that process looks with your clients. Yes. Okay, so we'll get a um, name from Nathan, and then we'll call them, and they'll tell us between the eight domains what they want to us to work with them on. And most of the time, it's usually a housing issue among others. So we'll make an appointment, and we'll go meet them, and we'll talk about what they want and their needs of housing. Sometimes there's barriers that they need to be on a bus line. It has to be under this certain income. Um, they're only working at their job for a few weeks. They don't have money for application fee or a deposit. So then we have to go back and talk to Nathan, and he has to talk to the board about helping them getting their deposit and application fee. And then sometimes there's miscommunication with them about their background. So we don't know that they have a bad background. So when they run it, they get denied. So then we hit another roadblock. So we have to go back and talk to them. Like, is there anything else you didn't tell me that you forgot to tell me so we can get you into proper housing? So then we'll go and get that figure. We'll talk to another housing person and then we'll get them into something else. And then it's like, oh, I don't have furniture. So then we have to go get furniture put out on the loop, which is something that we can ask for things, use things, people to donate to um, anybody. Um, So then we have to do that. And then for um, most apartments, you have to have like a birth certificate and stuff. So then we have to go and get that. Um, It's just a, a lot of things that come with the housing and then being the housing is a big, big portion of what most of our clients in this demographic um, need. It's a, it's a main, it's a lot of back and forth things that we go through with each client. And then we usually have between right now, I think between me, Jessica and my other coworkers, we have the, the smallest number of somebody, I think is like 16 clients out of all this. And the majority of them need housing. So that's just something that we, from start to finish kind of, and it takes a longer time. You think you go in, apply, you get in the next day. Most of our programs we work with that are helping our youth get into a certain housing, they have to go and inspect it. So we have to wait another week, and then it's a back and forth of phone call saying what's going on, and the client's getting frustrated. You're getting frustrated because no one's calling you back. So then it's just mm-hmm. everybody's frustrated, and then you get that phone call, and it's like, okay, yay. And then something else could happen with miscommunication of a lease because I have a client that happened to and we had to move her out of the apartment and all of her stuff is actually in my in Nathan's office. So now but she just got back into that same apartment after, I think, a month and a half. So it's a lot for the housing is one of our domains we work with. So you mentioned you said eight domains. What what were the eight domains again? Um, our eight domains are employment, education, transportation, physical and mental health, housing, legal assistance, um, finances and like a social support. So um, so housing does seem to be a lot of work. Yes. Um, what other issues have you run into or um, what do you find yourself advocating or doing a lot with your clients in the other domains that you mentioned? So I think the other, the biggest ones that we need help with would be employment and transportation. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times we get youth that, you know, they either don't know how to navigate the bus, they've never been on a bus, or they don't even have a permit or a license. So one of the... I think amazing things about CCYP is that we actually have a car that we can teach our youth how to drive in. We have our own driving program that they get to complete. 
I actually had a client that I was able to drive with him and complete the program um, and take him to get his license. And it was on his, it was his third try, you know, that he had come to us. Um, he had that one last time to either pass or fail. And if he didn't pass it, then he was going to have to pay for the driving lessons. Um, but we were able to to get him in and get the hours in and he was able to get his license. Um, so that was a, a huge success for us. Um, but oftentimes, you know, not all of our clients are lucky enough to have a car or have had the practice to drive. Um, so we also sometimes able to provide bus passes for our clients so that they're able to, you know, maintain employment, get to doctor's appointments um, until we're able to get them on that level to where that they can pass the driver's test. Nathan, you had mentioned that um, this program exists in our Springfield location as well. Have you noticed a difference in the needs in KC versus Springfield? Like I'm hearing a lot mm-hmm. of transportation housing here. Mm-hmm. Is that different in Springfield? Uh, there are lots of similarities between our two programs. I think that Springfield has a much better housing, has much more housing options. Mm-hmm. Our biggest thing here is that our young people are so so much more spread out. And mm-hmm. so the bus system is harder for them to use or access. And sometimes trying to help them find better employment that offers better wages doesn't meet that bus line criteria because just honestly, people tend to put those nicer businesses in the areas where they don't have to have poor people using the bus system to get to. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's one of the things I'm guessing a lot of listeners would imagine that the youth that you're working with would be located in the city but I'm getting the feeling from you that they're actually dispersed out through the greater Kansas City area yes they are there are concentrations of course a lot of our young people are in the urban core Mm -hmm. Um, we do have people in the suburbs typically when kids are aging out of care they go back to reunite with their birth family and so those birth families are typically in the city um, because that's where they were. That's where the kids were when they before they came into care. And so we're trying to get kids to kind of move out of those areas. Mm. Um, not not because there's anything wrong with their family necessarily. It's just to allow them to have more opportunities. And so that sometimes is a struggle that the specialists also face. What areas are they moving to? So we get them like to independence is most helpful for us because we do a lot of driving. And mm-hmm. so if we can and there's a lot more business opportunities and school and stuff like that. So we get them to independence. Um, but really, any of the suburbs are fine. The city is fine as well. It's just, again, it's helping them understand that they can have a relationship with those birth families. Uh, but they need to have a little bit of distance while they're figuring out their lives so that they don't kind of get sucked into the cycle that led to them coming into care. So tell me what the the legal issues look like. You have a um, you said you do legal advocacy. What does that look like for your clients? So we I have a client who had uh, I think three different warrants, um, and two of them we did not know about until me and Nathan was actually going to Columbia, Missouri, to get one of the warrants taken care of. That he had a warrant in Kansas as well as Independence, as well as the one that we were going to for Boone County. Um, the, all three of them were for, well, two of them were for domestic violence and the other one was for stealing alcohol. So let me know, um, how does the, the legal advocacy part of that, what do you do in those cases? So we talk to our legal aid person, um, Lori Burns Bucklew, and she will check the system however she checks it and gets on CaseNet, and then she'll talk to us about what steps they want to take. And then we have to talk to our client and bring them in to talk to her. And she'll talk to them and ask them, do you want me to pursue these warrants? Try to get them thrown out, pleaded down, community service and such. And they'll say yes, no, maybe. And then in some circumstances, she can't get them pleaded. And we have to go to court 
for instance, when Nathan did have to go to Columbia for the domestic violence one, he had to go to court. Um, we had to drive there. And then um, it was a good thing and a bad thing. The bad thing part, we had to drive. And it was like kind of for no reason because his lawyer was like, oh, we tried to call y'all and tell y'all we got it thrown out after we sat there for two hours. So it was good that he got it thrown out because it was in, impacting the job that he had gotten um, because he had to go on um, restricted areas to clean, and then they run your your name in the system. So it's um, so so really, you're helping them. I, and I know that uh, a lot of times it's scary for anyone, even if it's just a, a traffic ticket to go into court. I can imagine that some of the charges that are a little bit uh, higher risk would be more difficult. So you're sort of just helping them to face the justice system, correct? Yes. Fantastic. Well, we will be speaking more about the Community Connections Youth Project when we return on Fostering Hope. Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I am your host for today, Liz Luce, here with my co-host Jennifer Townsend. Hello, Jennifer. Yo. And we are speaking with our Community Connections Youth Project um, Youth Specialist and then our Program Director, Nathan Ross. And we have been speaking about um, the clients, what we're working on with the young adults through Foster Adopt Connect. And Nathan, um, if you could just run us through some of the program highlights or successes or struggles that you have found that the clients have faced. Yeah, so one of the stories that always sticks out in my mind, we had a young man in our Springfield office who came to us. He had been homeless for quite some time, um, had struggled with a bunch of different things, was 19, 20 years old, and of course thought he had figured out life. Uh, and so when he came to us, he hadn't eaten in a couple of days. He hadn't showered in a few days and didn't know where he was going to sleep. And so we worked to try to find a shelter for him and spent the day calling different places in. We got one and called him or talked to him and he said he didn't want to go. And so we tried to ask why and he was very hesitant to tell us. And finally he opened up to us and let us know that he had been assaulted while he was at that at that shelter before. And so he was not willing to go back. And so uh, at that moment we kind of wrapped our heads around that and tried to figure out what we could do. And so we decided to put him in a hotel room, uh, which is something we were very hesitant to do because – our names are have, have to be on it, and we didn't know what it would be like, but we got him this hotel room. We went and got him a $50 worth of food um, at Walmart to try to get him through the next day and a half while we figured out a more permanent solution. And so the next day, one of his specialists went to the room to try to get him to go and apply for housing, and she knocked on the door, and there was no response. And so... Uh, she got a little worried and knocked on it again. No response. Went back to the front desk, called the room. No response. We knew he didn't have transportation and he was supposed to be there. So we got a key from the manager and uh, went in and he was actually in his room asleep. And it was probably one o'clock in the afternoon at this point in time and was sleeping. And what she found out was that he hadn't had a safe place to sleep in such a long time that when he had that room and was able to just relax, he was out to the world. And so 
Um, he had barely put the food away, was still in his clothes and just was on top of the bed sleeping all day. And so that was one of the things for our program that really showed us that this is why we are doing what we're doing. I mean, they struggle, they have things that come up, but it's that, you know, helping them have safety, helping them have stability. They're taking on a lot more than I had to take on when I was that age because I had my parents. And so we really want to help in those types of situations. And that situation, it's just hard to imagine really, because I feel like also maybe with another program that wasn't as dedicated, you know, they would not get the answer. They wouldn't, um, right. nobody would answer and they would get a call from the kid. And they'd be like, well, you didn't answer. So we're done. Right. And you all took the time to, to investigate what was really going on and to listen, to see what the issue was. And I think that's amazing. Do you have any other um, stories from, from your clients that you've served? Yes, I have one of one of my clients. Um, she actually lived in an ap- apartment when I first met her. She was doing good. We were working on her getting. Um, How old was she? She is 20. She's 20 years old. Um, she she has a four-year-old daughter. Um, and they were living. They were fine where they were when I first met her. And she took it upon herself to let her former um, caregivers come stay with her because they had a mishap into her two-bedroom apartment. Um, one thing led to another. The housing people found out and they evicted her because she couldn't have them there. Um, so she had nowhere to go. So she was homeless. So um, I convinced her to go stay with her grandmother, who she really didn't get along with. There was some trauma history there that I was unaware of that I recently just found out to why she does not like to stay with her grandmother. So she was willing to go for um, a weekend. And then she um, went to a hotel that she paid for. And then she went to a friend's house. So then she got into another apartment. So we, I got the phone call. She said, I got accepted to here. I was like, yay. So we got furniture for her, and we helped move her in. Me and, um, I think me and Jessica actually helped her move in. Um, and then it was a mishap with the lease at that apartment. Um, and she was supposed to go to a housing authority meeting on the 20th, I believe. Um, she didn't miss her meeting. I went over there, and I called, knocked on the door. She was dead asleep. And um, by the time I got back to the office to tell Nathan about it, she was blowing my phone up, calling me like, hey, I'm ready, I'm ready. But it was too late. So the apartment place kicked her out. So, again, she was homeless. So I had to talk to her grandmother to see if she can come stay there. Of course, the client didn't want to go there for that length of time. So it was back and forth with that, trying to you know explain to her the situation and the importance of her making these appointments because now – um, you're homeless and I didn't try to make her feel bad about it because I know she already felt bad but I just tell her this is a part of growing up that you're going to have to learn to make appointments on time because now either you're going to have to pay this 625 for rent because you didn't make it to the appointment where you would have zero rent or we're going to have to leave out of here and wait until you can go again so I emailed the housing authority lady who's over the uh, program and she set her a new appointment I was going on my anniversary trip so Jessica actually took her to the appointment and then just recently, she received that she got approved again for the same apartment. Just yesterday, I took her some pillows and stuff to her new apartment, and we went to the store and got her food. So she is back in the same apartment again. So I had to explain to her again, like, this is the thing that you have to go through. Part of being an adult, making appointments, making sure there's communication um, so that you're not left like, what am I supposed to do with my life? 
and part part of that story, sorry, Candace to jump in, that Candace didn't mention was the advocacy that had to happen. So she had signed a temporary lease at this apartment complex because she expected to have a voucher. And so one of the things that we asked the leasing agent was, if she doesn't get the voucher and has to move out, will this cause an eviction? And we were told no. Well, when she had to move out, the leasing agent came back and said, well, actually, she will have to pay a deposit or will face an eviction. Had we not been a part of the program, this girl would have been stuck with that. But we were able to use our advocacy and get our lawyer, just even mentioning that we had a lawyer on staff. It reminded her of what she had first agreed to. And so we were able to get the girl out of the apartment without having to pay that. Um, and so there were a lot of pieces that had she not been connected to the program, she would have been left out on the streets again. She wouldn't have had another visit to come into this apartment and she wouldn't have been able to move in. And yeah. honestly, if you look at that, because she has a child, it could have ended up where that child ended up Would coming come into, into care. care. Yes, because she's yeah. actually still in in care. Yes. She's still in care. And then um, I have another client who had this, not the same situation, but they were both, um, they were both, they were together and they were homeless as well. And I had to advocate for them to get into an apartment because they didn't have, neither one of them had a job and they needed a deposit. And the lady waited all the way down to $50 for them to be able to get into an apartment. Jessica, do you have any stories? I do. So I have a, still have a youth who, when I got him, he was 18. And the information that was given to me by his guardian ad litem was that he was getting ready to graduate high school. He was going to go to UCM and start his whole life there. He just needed some housing, housing for a couple of months. Well, after Nathan and I had talked to this young man, we found out that he still had a little bit to go before he could f- complete high school. He had not taken the ACT. He had not even applied for this college. Um, and then come to find out the program that he even wanted to go into, this college didn't even offer. Um, so that kind of shows that there's sometimes a lot of miscommunication. And so we really have to dive deep and ask sometimes the the basic questions that you wouldn't really think to ask to really figure out the whole story. Um, so after meeting with him and kind of figuring it out, um, he disrupted and was kicked out of his current foster home. And he was all the way down in Freeman, Missouri. Um, and then he got placed in Kansas City. And we had a hard time trying to figure out how he was going to graduate high school. Uh, so working with the principal at the school in Freeman, or the school was in Cleveland, but he lived in Freeman, I was able to coordinate with the principal and take him down there on two separate occasions and spend the entire day down there so that he could complete his online modules and graduate on time. Um, So I was glad to be able to get that done. And now the next step is hopefully to get him enrolled for the fall semester. He's been a little reluctant to do that um, and has really wanted to be out on his own. So we recently got him into some housing um, which was, it was great. You know, it's very, you don't see it every day that an 18 year old youth has his own apartment. Uh, we were able to help supply him some furniture and get him really set up on his feet. However, you know, life happens and he got evicted within a week of being, uh, at this apartment. So now we are trying to work on fixing that situation and kind of seeing what the next step is. So yeah. you had mentioned that the, the guardian ad litem, who is, um, for those of you who don't know, is the child's lawyer mm-hmm. um, in the system. So you had mentioned that the guardian ad litem thought that he had graduated and he was going to college, which didn't seem to be the case at all. Do you find that there is a lot of miscommunication and um, not actually knowing what's going on on the part of, you know, the client's lives and the professionals? 
Oh, yes, all the time. I got a referral for two sisters who were in different homes. Um, their, as their actual caseworker from Children's Division had reached out and sent an email saying, oh, we're really interested. You know, these girls really want services. When I'd reached out to one, um, she was a little reluctant, but she had agreed to initially meet with me. And then her foster mother actually called back and kind of bit my head off in saying that she had it covered, that she didn't want services. Um, so when I reached back out to the caseworker, he acted like he didn't really know what I was talking about. Yeah, and so we find that because of the enormous caseloads that different workers have, it's harder to give that individual attention. The client that Candace was talking about who has a daughter and is homeless is still in care. So the fact that she was ever homeless while in the, in the custody of the state is alarming. Um, and we had a very hard time getting a hold of her worker. And so that's one of the reasons why we keep their caseloads, the CCYP caseloads, to 20 at max because – the amount of work that they have to do, these are just two stories. The amount of work they had to do was enormous, and they still have to manage the other clients who are having more crisis needs. And so we have found repeatedly that that communication is super important for us to have successful client interactions. We will speak more about the CCY program, CCYP program mm-hmm. uh, when we return on Fostering Hope. Welcome back to Fostering Hope. I am your host today, Liz Luce, here with my co-host Jennifer Townsend. Hello, Jennifer. Hey. And we are speaking with Nathan, Candace, and Jessica from the Community Connections Youth Project Program at Foster Adopt Connect. Um, so what I really want to talk about in this segment is your outcomes. Mm-hmm. What what does a successful outcome look like and, and what does it look like for the program? So the program has just turned one year old. And so we have had some pretty cool outcomes, but it's also important to understand that a lot of the young people, all of the young people that we serve in our program have aged out of care at some capacity. And so those are 12 to 18 years of being on their own, of having to figure out life mostly on their own and developing all of their survival instincts. And so for our program, we see some small gains, but we know that it's going to take a little bit more time before we can see the really big picture. Definitely not a quick fix. It's not a quick fix. And that's why this program is so needed because people have had a hard time engaging this population and it's required some people to kind of give up. And we are an agency that says, no, we're going to stick it out. Uh, So even with that said, we have been able to see, we've been able to see clients go from homeless to having stable housing. We've been able to see clients who have had no income maintaining a job. Now, sometimes that's, you know, a month and then we have to find them another job and then we have to find them another job. But the point is, is that no matter what our clients are doing, they are always able to re-engage with us. Uh, one of the cool aspects is that we have become a, a pretty important social support for our clients. We had a client just this week actually tell us that she no longer wanted services because she was moving out of the state and then it didn't work out. And so she called us back and said, Hey, I'm back in, um, I'm back in the state. So just so you know, uh, you know, it wasn't anything, but just checking in. And so that's, and she hadn't been involved in our program very long at all. And so that's what our program is. We are helping them be that support that we all received from our families while still trying to connect them to other people who can do that. Um, And so in the year that we've had this program between both of our 
locations. We've served over 110 young people. And sometimes those are big things like you've heard the stories about housing, but sometimes it's really just a bus pass and food. If I could get to my next paycheck, I would be okay. And so we help them in those ways. However we need to, we're doing what we have to do. And so that's been really cool. We've helped kids get to a place where they can go back to school, um, where they could get those certificates so that they could do more for their for their own children. We've helped them get clothing for those kids. We've helped them learn to drive. We spend quite a bit of time transporting, which people wouldn't think is a big deal. But if you can't get to your doctor's appointment or to an interview or to your school's orientation, you're not going to those things. And so me just taking the two hours out of my day to come and get you, to take you to the doctor's appointment, to sit with you in the interview, to take you back home. I've now helped the trajectory of your life improve dramatically. And so my specialists spend a, quite a bit of time doing that, but also teaching them how to transport themselves because we can't do it for everyone all and the I time. imagine teaching them how to trust, too. I, I can imagine not being able to get somewhere that I know I need to go, like a yes. doctor's appointment, and just feeling hopeless and having no one I could call and just knowing that they can call you and your staff to... To come help them and knowing that there is somebody there probably helps them to trust a little bit more and maybe open up to those social supports that you're looking for. Yeah, our program, we kind of specialize in conflict resolution, we found over this year, because we do sometimes have to say no. No one wants to hear it, but it is the reality of the world. And so if we can't do something, it's always because we have a reason and we never leave them on their own. But sometimes I can't transport you when I've given you a 30-day bus pass and I have another client today. So I'm going to suggest to you to use that 30-day bus pass to go five miles down the road. Um, sometimes that is asking too much, you know, when you're thinking about all the other things on your life. And so we have clients who kind of chew, chew our heads off and cuss and tell us they're not going to be in the program anymore. Um, fortunately, because we built this program with that in mind, they are able to call back typically the same day and say, oh, I'm sorry, or, oh, my phone cut out. Um, I didn't hang up on you. I just lost signal. And we're able to call them on it or move on, move forward, realizing that it's not us that they're mad at. And we're like, okay, well, you might want to invest in a better phone service, you know, because it seems to happen a lot when you're angry. Um, and then we continue moving forward with helping them on their case. Um, but we've, we also know, I mean, we had a client who she she took us through the ringer. She had faced an eviction that was $3,000 and was going through more and more stuff. And she cussed us out several times and hung up on us several times, which is one of my big pet peeves. And I wanted to, I really did honestly want to kick her out of the program because I was frustrated. But we were able to vent about it internally, you know, laugh about it, call her back, took her to court. And the prosecutor actually came and thanked us and said, you guys really saved this girl because we were willing, we we're ready to evict her. We were going to evict her, put this eviction on her. Her kids would have been homeless today. Her kids would have been homeless 21 days ago had you all not intervened. And so after we were able to get that figured out, she came to us and said, thank you. I know I was a pain. I know that I cussed you guys out. I know I did all this stuff, but you guys really did help my life. And I appreciate it. And, and your experiences, uh, I feel like it's it's easier for the youth to swallow because you have had these experiences and, and you know, your lives with what you had going on when you were younger. Um, make it so you can almost hold their hand and be the shoulder to cry, but also the accountability part. Yeah. It's not like they're getting that lecture from someone who has no idea what they've gone through. Exactly. I mean, the system has done some interesting things for kids in care where they don't have any responsibility, um, but they also have too much responsibility. And so we find that our young people who are aging out, they're thrust into the world being told that they have to tackle so many things. 
getting a job is not as easy as it sounds. You, you think, oh, I just have to go and fill out and go into an interview because your mind and your relationships have prepared those small steps so that it's it's like second nature for you. But when you've never had income, when you've never had to interview, when you've never had to have any responsibility, getting a job is a very, very scary thing to do. It's even scarier when you add in the fact that you're sometimes connected to family who haven't gotten out of the life that you were in. Um, and then you add even more to that, that you have a certain amount of guilt that you are able to provide for yourself. And so we have a lot of clients who end up getting taken advantage of or all of our clients have such big hearts. It drives us crazy because they're getting evicted from housing because they're having their friends stay with them. And so you're like, why would you do that? But at the same time, they're keeping their friends from being homeless. And so it's hard, you know, it's hard to justify that to the person who's kicking them out to see, please understand you know, the client that got kicked out because she had her family in there, we get that she wasn't supposed to, but that shows the big heart that they have. And so it's, sometimes it's for us, it's getting past that anger, getting past the yelling at us and understanding that behind all of that, they really want the best for themselves and they really care about the other people who are in that life with them. So what would you suggest um, the average person, our average listener who's not necessarily involved with foster care adoption, how can the average person help? We always need jobs. We are always looking for different jobs for our clients. So if any of you listening have a job and you are willing to take on someone who has a, who needs a lot of experience and hand holding, but has a great capacity to do amazing things, I urge you to please contact us. The other thing is transportation. Um, we have a lot of young people who having a vehicle would make a real difference for them and their children. And so if you have a car that you're like, eh, I'm going to junk it or I'm going to trade it in because I don't really have a use for it or my kids don't need it anymore. I implore you, please consider giving us a, a call. We have been able to help one client, only one client so far, but still one client get a vehicle and that's going to change their lives. They had a baby, um, but we're having a lot of clients who are lugging their children up hills. You know, it's that old story you hear from your parents when it was snowing. I had to walk uphill both ways, you know, to go to school. <laughs> but for some of our clients, that's, you know, they're, that's their actual story. And so when you're doing that with kids and then groceries, it's extremely difficult. And so, those are two of the main things. And then, of course, we can always use volunteers who are willing to mentor these young people, who are willing to be those social supports um, to help them make better choices. Well, thank you so much, um, all three of you, for being on our show today. Thanks for having us. Yes, thanks for having us. No problem. Uh, you've been listening to Fostering Hope, brought to you by Foster Adopt Connect, a comprehensive regional support and advocacy center for abused and neglected children and the families caring for them. To learn how to become a foster parent or how you can help vulnerable kids in other ways, visit us at fosteradopt.org or follow Fosteradopt Connect on Facebook and Twitter.